All right, the question I have to know before we get started, before we, I introduce myself, before we pray, I want you to ask yourself this question. What are you refusing to accept? Everybody's got something. I got something. You got something. Your neighbor has something. Your friends have something. Everybody has something that they are refusing to accept. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to unpack that today because I believe allowing it to come to the surface instead of trying to suppress it is actually the, the thing that's keeping us from being set free. And so that's what I want to talk about. And so before we dive in, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the way that you speak. I thank you so much that your word is living and that it is active, that we can go to texts that we have visited hundreds of times, and it's still like going there for the very first time. Uh, that was today. That was what we're going to talk about. I pray that what we see in this text, uh, we see it in a way that we've never seen it before. And I hope that it brings to the surface many of the things that we have tried to suppress or many of the things that are might actually be inviting the struggle that we're blind to. Whatever it is that we're suppressing, whatever it is that we are holding on to, clinging to, I pray that we let it go today and make way for your power and your strength and what it is that you want to do. So again, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this message. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. I uh, <clears throat> I have to admit, preparing for the sermon this weekend uh, was, or this week, I guess, was a little bit different than anything I'd ever done before uh, because my environment was different. I have adopted or I am discovering that I have a new mobile office and uh, it is out in the middle of nowhere, out in the desert, uh, because of a newfound passion, or a, I would say an obsession, that my oldest son, Camden, has. And I love it. I love that he is obsessed with this thing, because he is now devoting every waking moment to riding his bike and getting into BMX. And so there is a place down the road off of Silver Bell that we have found that he can go and practice jumps and lines and, and everything. I don't know the terminology of BMX yet. I'm learning it, but I'm excited about it because he's the one that's telling me about it because he's obsessed about it. I've been waiting for this kid to find something that makes him get up in the morning, that makes him get me out of, the, out of bed, that is something I have to pull him in from, and we found it. And his obsession reminds me of an obsession that I had growing up because when I was his age, he's 11 now, when I was his age, and this never went away. I mean, this was, I'm still this way, to be honest with you. Uh, my obsession growing up was football. I loved football. Uh, I, I woke up to, to play it. I would skip lunch to go play it. And oftentimes, my parents would have to come and find me because I was playing it. I was obsessed with football. David, you'll laugh about this, and you can make fun of me. David, is uh, he's in the wall behind me. He's making sure that everything sounds good. Uh, and you'll laugh at this too. And if anyone who knows me as a kid is watching this, they'll laugh at me because uh, it's. I think it sometimes still happens. But when I, I was so obsessed that when I was a kid, remember tape recorders? Remember those? I had a little cassette tape, and I would put it in, and I would be watching, you know, NFL on Fox or NFL on NBC or it became CBS or, or ESPN or whatever. And I remember that as they would go out to commercial, the outro music. I would run up to the TV, I would grab my little cassette tape, and I would hit record, and I would hold that up to the speaker to capture the, the outro music, and I would then go to bed with headphones in my ear 
listening to that over and over and over and imagining being those players. I mean, I loved football. It was awesome. I was obsessed with it. Here was the problem with my obsession. My dad's obsession was not football. His obsession was outdoors, specifically hunting. And I guess being uh, having the last name Hunter, it just kind of, it kind of, I guess it's kind of a rite of passage. It was one of those things that in order to keep my last name, I was going to have to go alongside of dad and do his passion. And uh, the interesting thing about his passion and my passion, mine being football, his being hunting season, was oftentimes uh, they happened at the same exact time. Deer season and football season both happened in the fall, in October, in November. And so often what we would find is that our passions were in conflict with one another. What I obsessed about and what my dad obsessed about was in conflict. Oftentimes for me to do what I wanted to do, he had to lose. Or for him to do what he wanted to do, I had to lose. We were always fighting each other. And so I remember when my son was born... My dad gave me a lot of great advice, but I would say this is in the top three nuggets of advice that my dad gave me uh, because he told me when Camden was born, he said, son, whatever that young man becomes passionate about, make that your passion. Whatever he likes to do, make his passion your passion. And now that Camden is getting older, I'm realizing just how, how rich that advice was. And that advice that he gave me became the catalyst so that me, and, that me and my son don't make the same mistake that me and my dad made. Because instead of trying to compete with one another, I've accepted the fact that me and Camden have different passions. And that acceptance has created a giant six-lane highway to so much enjoyment, so much fun, so many different experiences with my son. And it's that thing, acceptance, that we all struggle with. It's difficult to accept a situation. It's difficult to accept a reality. It's difficult to accept, especially in 21st century America, especially today. We are so conditioned. You do not have to accept that. We live in a world that trains us, that teaches us, that, that glorifies this, this idea that we don't have to accept our reality, that if you're willing to put in the work, that if you're willing to find the resources, if you're willing to, to, to what, how did Rocky say it in Rocky Balboa, if you can just take the hits, you don't have to accept that. Acceptance has kind of gotten this bad rap because acceptance is not a good thing. Acceptance is not a bad thing. Acceptance is simply recognizing the situation. Acceptance is taking 30 seconds and stopping and saying, I am here. This is where I am. I may like it. I may not like it. It may be fair. It may not be fair. But this is where I am. I'm here. And that's why I started the way that I did. Where are you right now? Stop working so hard. Just stop right now. Just stop. Where are you right now? I don't know where you are, but I could take a guess. I mean, you might have someone that's treating you unfairly. Could be a supervisor, could be a spouse, could be your kids. I don't know who it is. You may have someone that is treating you unfairly. What they are doing isn't right. Okay, just, that's where you are. You may have someone that just doesn't love you. They don't love you the way that you love them. 
Maybe it's your kids. You're a pretty good parent, but for whatever reason, they don't reciprocate the love now that they're adults that you gave them. Or maybe it's a, it's a divorce that, that you're still recovering from. It's hard to get over the simple fact that it's like, I love them. I gave them everything. And I don't want to downplay it by calling it a simple fact, but it's so hard that we, we, we don't process that emotion yet. We, we refuse to. We start looking for a re- Stop. Stop. Let it come to the surface. Maybe somebody you trusted. Could be a, a mentor. Could have been a friend. Someone that you, I trusted them. And they didn't trust me back. It sucks, but I'm here. Or maybe it's internal. Maybe you're discovering that you are a lot more sensitive than you thought you were. You didn't mean to be. You didn't know. You, I'm a tough person. I'm a, I'm a self-made. I'm t- I, I can make decisions. But then now you've got this decision that you know you probably should have made months ago. But you're discovering, huh, <laughs> a little more emotional than I thought I was. It's accepting. I'm here. Maybe you don't have the control you thought you did. Maybe that's it. You realize, whoa, my job is not nearly as solidified as I thought it was. My health is not as reliable as I thought it was. I don't know what it is. Maybe the criticism that you're on the receiving end is of, of is right. We're in this don't offend anybody world, but maybe they're right. Maybe you do need to lose weight. And they're just the ones that actually had the guts to tell you. You got to lose weight. Maybe you do need to spend more time with the kids. Maybe you do need to work harder. Maybe you do need to make more time for your spouse. Maybe you do need to chill out. I don't know. Maybe they're right. Maybe you do need to move on. Maybe you do need to check your ego. Maybe you do need to take some advice. Maybe you do need help. It's not good. It's not bad. It's just where you are. And we work so hard to push all of this stuff away. Stop. Stop working so hard to change everything and push. Just stop. Say it. Just say it right now. Say, I am here. I'm here. Accept it. Acceptance is recognizing the reality of the situation instead of trying to reverse the repercussions of it. Acceptance is recognizing the reality of the situation instead of trying to reverse the repercussions of it. It's realizing what you're dealing with. The hardest adversary to find is the one you can't see. The hardest adversary to deal with is the one that, if you take the hits, cool, where is it coming from? We have to see where we are. We have to start by accepting where we are. Accept it. Say it with me. Say it it out loud with me, because I need your help delivering the sermon title. Say it with me. Say it right now. Say, I am here. That's the title of the sermon this week. I am here. And what we're going to discover today is that acceptance, Jesus is going to show us that acceptance is actually the foundational building block to surrender. Without acceptance, there is no surrender. If you've been tracking along the last couple of weeks, we've been kind of unpacking this process of surrender. Two weeks ago, we were in John chapter 18, and we learned that Jesus, he didn't surrender, or he didn't, he didn't succumb to the mob. They didn't overthrow him. He didn't, they, he didn't succumb to it, but rather he surrendered to it. Two weeks ago, or a week ago, we were in Luke chapter 22, Mark chapter 14. 
And in both of those chapters, we saw that everything is possible. However, surrender makes way for the impossible. And I felt bad for Matthew. A couple weeks ago, I was treating all the gospel writers like, like witnesses. Now I'm treating them like my kids. And I felt bad for Matthew because Matthew was like, well, you taught out of John. You taught out of Luke. You taught out how to Mark. Can I play? Can I play? Can I be a part of this? Yeah, you can be part of it. I'll let you play, Matthew. Actually, I'm, uh, I'm glad we're talking about what we're going to talk about today out of Matthew because Matthew records what I believe is the foundational, foundational aspect of surrender. All of that stuff is great. But if we don't first unpack the foundation, the whole the thing, this whole thing is built on. If we don't unpack that, we're not going to get anywhere. And we're going to discover it in Matthew chapter 4. What we're going to find today in Matthew chapter 4, without this, there's no surrender in Matthew 26 or Mark 14 or Luke 22 or John 18. That doesn't, that doesn't, without what happens today in Matthew 4, we can't celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can't celebrate it. This today is the catalyst. It's Matthew chapter 4, and it's in verse 8. And I'm diving right into this, because if you're familiar with your Bible at all, you know that this chunk of text is the temptation. This is the ultimate showdown between Jesus and Satan. And if you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, there's no easing our way. We are, we are smack dab into the third temptation. Two have already taken place. I'm not going to deal with those two today. I'll tell, I'll tell you why in a second. I'm going right to the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter is in verse 8 because it says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. Talking about Jesus. The devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And listen, I don't want to dive into all of the, there is so much theology in this verse that we get so inundated in our 21st century America where, well, wait, wait a minute, explain it. So, so, so who's in control? Because what, what Satan's going to offer Jesus, does he have, even have the authority to offer Jesus that? Does he have the power to offer Jesus that? Will some say yes? Will some say no? And we get into all these theological debates and we miss the practical application. And I'm not diving into all that. I'm not diving into what all the temptations mean. I'm not if we, if we dive into the seminary side of this, we're going to miss the practical application. Because look at what Satan is doing to Jesus. The devil is taking him to a very high place and showing him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. How did he do that? I don't know. I don't know. Here's what I have to know, though. And here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to discover. Instead of getting sidetracked with all of that, ask yourself this question. Where's the devil taking you? And what is he showing you? Because the devil took Jesus and he tried to show him something. Where's the devil taking you and what's he trying to show you? I don't know. But wherever it is, you know know what my theory is? Wherever the devil is taking you and whatever the devil is trying to show you, it's most likely taking you away from the place that God has you. Say, I'm here. Because verse 9, the devil says, all of this I will give you if you bow down and worship me. Now, if you're familiar with the three temptations of Jesus, you may know a few things about this entire chunk of text. Matthew chapter 4 in its entirety. You may know that the three temptations took place before Jesus started his earthly ministry. He was still, for the most part, in isolation. Nobody knew about him. The three temptations took Jesus or took place before Jesus performed any public miracles. You can read all four gospels. There's no indication that Jesus recorded any public miracles before this. 
These three temptations took place before he recruited any of his disciples. Before any of the stuff that Jesus had to deal with, any of the people, any of the reliance upon God, anything that he had to do, all of this took place before that. If you look at the temptations, each one of them is progressive. The first temptation, the devil appealed to Jesus' physical appetite. The second one, he appealed to his identity. But this is not a sermon on the three temptations of Jesus. This is a sermon about the foundational issue. This is a sermon about, that's all window dressing. Everything, every one of those temptations led to this moment. It set the stage for this temptation. And every temptation in your life, everything will set the stage for this temptation in your life. This moment, this power struggle. Every single one of us deal with a power struggle. Every single thing in our life, when it comes down to it, it's power, it's control, decision-making. It's the power struggle that every single one of us go through every single day in our daily lives that I want to talk about. Figure it out. Fill in the variable. The power struggle is your will or God's will. Your strength or God's strength. God's power, your power. Your way, God's way. Your time, God's time. Your idea, God's idea. Your understanding, God's understanding. Your glory or God's glory. That's the power struggle. That's the temptation. That's what the enemy tries to entice us away from. You don't have to do it that way. You don't have to accept that. You know what I found interesting about this? What I found interesting about the devil's tactic. The devil didn't try to ruin the credibility of God's plan. That fascinated me. David can back me up on this because him and I used to share the same profession. Anytime in a court of law, what you would find is you would have a defendant and you had these attorneys that would go back and forth and all they would try to do, they would each present an argument why someone was guilty, why someone wasn't guilty. And each side would try to destroy the credibility of the other side in order to win the case. Oftentimes, as a law enforcement officer, I would have to write very detailed notes, very detailed case reports to reinforce the credibility. And if any time a defense attorney could destroy my credibility as an officer, then it would destroy the reliability of my testimony, therefore would create doubt or introduce doubt. And that's what I'm looking for Satan to do here. But at no point... No point did Satan try to destroy the credibility of God's plan. He simply tried to get Jesus to believe that while that's the way that God wants to do it, my way will work too. Yes, you can do it God's way. You can wait. You can suffer. You can glorify him, but you don't have to do it that way. That's not the only way to get the authority. There's another way to do it. You can skip the suffering. You can skip the waiting. You can take power immediately. Think of all that you could do with the power that I can give you. I know God decides the time. I know God decides the moment, but why wait? Do it now. Jesus, you don't have to accept God's way. You don't have to. And he will make that deal. The devil will make that deal with anyone who is willing to sit down at the table 
he'll make the deal with you. He'll look at you and go, son, daughter, you don't have to accept that. I know that's what God wants to do, but you don't have to do it that way. And the reason that I want this to come to the surface, this thing that we're refusing to accept, is because so many of us will run ourselves ragged for days, months, years, even decades. We will actually make our identity in running ourselves ragged, believing the lie that you do not have to accept. Fill in your blank variable. Satan will window dress it however he wants. You don't deserve that. You're better than that. What they're doing is wrong to you. That's not fair. They're taking advantage of you. They're going to do to you what they did to them. Satan's offer to Jesus was to allow him to, ex- to skip all the suffering, all of the waiting, and take power immediately. Do it his way. Is he making the same offer to you? Is he offering you the same thing? I don't like to utilize this type of language, but I think it's on point here. If your situation, the one that you're refusing to accept, if that situation feels like a living hell right now, he might be offering you the same temptation. If your situation feels like a living hell, Satan might be doing the same thing to you that he was doing to Jesus. Write this down. Our refusal to accept where God has us might be the very thing inviting the enemy into your situation. Our refusal to accept where God has us might be the very thing that's inviting the enemy into our situation. And if that's you, you're not alone. You have a high priest who can sympathize with you. Jesus knows exactly how you feel. If even just me saying these words is difficult to hear, Jesus is looking at you saying, son, daughter, I know, I know, I know how hard this is to hear. Because Jesus, I mean, put yourself in Jesus' shoes. There he was, up there, up there on that high mountain that he created, by the way. Up there, he created it. He, had the, he knew who he was. He knew exactly who he was. He knew what he was here to do. And he knew what he could do. He knew what he could do with that power that was flashing before him. He knew exactly what he could do. It was at his fingertips. He knows how you feel. He knows. And yet, in spite of that temptation to take power, in spite of that temptation to get rid of the suffering, in spite of that temptation, knowing the good that he could do, he accepted the fact that where he was is where God had placed him. He accepted the fact that God had him by saying what he said in verse 10. Because he continues, Matthew chapter 4, verse 10. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. In other words, he's saying, I don't need to go there. I'm staying right here. He looked at Satan and he said, I am here. He drew that line in the sand. I'm right where God has me. I trust God's plan for my life. His time, his will, his strength, his power. Why? Jesus tells us as he finishes the verse, and he, and he does so by quoting something from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. Because in finishing this verse, he says, For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him. And there's this word, only. Only. I told you that Jesus quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. And if you look 
If you look in the original Hebrew text, remember the Old Testament, Deuteronomy was in the Old Testament, everything before Jesus, that was written in Hebrew. If you look in the Septuagint, which is just the Greek translation of the Old Testament, I say these words make me sound smart, I'm just reading you what you can discover on Bible Hub. Remember, the New Testament was written in Greek. Well, to read the Old Testament, they had to translate the Old Testament into the Greek language. The Septuagint is just the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And if you look in both of those, this is the purest documents that we have. You're going to discover something. The word only is not in the original text of either one of those things. The Hebrew text or the Septuagint. The word only is not in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. What does that mean? That means Jesus added it for emphasis. He's looking right at the enemy, and he's drawing that line in the sand, and he says, it's written, worship the Lord your God only. I'm not going to take your bait. I'm not going to do it your way. I'm not going to take your plan. I'm doing it his way, and only his way. Why? Because I trust him. I have faith in him. I am here. This life of being a born-again believer, giving our life to Christ, it's not about our will. It is not about our plan. You can set something up with the plan to accomplish this, and God might say, but I want to do that. You can move across the country to do this, and God might say, but I want to do that. You can go to college to do this, and God might say, well, I want to do that. Our job as followers of Christ is to submit to his will and his will only. It's about God's will. And Jesus accepted the fact, up there on that mountain, he accepted the fact that he was going to do it God's way. And it was Jesus' acceptance when dealing with the most difficult temptation. It was Jesus' acceptance. That acceptance was the catalyst for what we read in verse 11. Because look at what happened next. All the torment, all the anguish. But when Jesus accepted it, look what changes. Verse 11. Then the devil left him. What was the catalyst? What was the thing that made the devil leave? What is the thing that's going to make the devil leave your life? Our refusal to accept invites the devil in. But when you accept it, when you say, I'm here, this is where I am, then the devil left. When you accept God's plan for your life, I believe the devil will leave you too. But not only will the devil leave, look at the second half of the verse, and angels came and attended him. Some someone would say strengthen him, depending on the translation that you read. The idea was it made way for God's strength in Jesus' life to do the thing that God had called Jesus to do. And when we accept the plan that God has for our life, when we say, I am here, the devil flees from us and it invites God's strength into our life to fulfill the calling that he has for each one of us. Can you accept it? Can you accept it? I believe that if you accept wherever God has you, if you accept it, and I know it's hard, but if you accept it, you'll experience God in a way that you never have. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes right now. Close your eyes. Declare it. Declare it. Say, Father, I accept it. I'm here. You know what I believe happens when you accept it, when you, wherever the reality is, when you accept it and you tell God, I am here, you know what I believe he would say to you? 
I believe he would look at you and he would say, son, daughter. You know, I believe he's going to tell you. I believe he'd tell you his name. You know what his name is? God would tell you his name is I am. And by us accepting where God has us, I believe that he would look right at you, whisper in your ear, I am here. I'm here. I'm right here with you. And I will give you the strength to do the thing that I've called you to do. Father, I thank you that you're here with us in this moment, wherever we are. It might look like it's for our harm, but I believe it's for our good. You've declared it's for our good, even though it looks scary. Oftentimes, it's just a test. Oftentimes, it's so that people know that the only way it was possible was in your strength, not ours. I don't know where people are right now, but you do. And I believe that they are working themselves into a tizzy, fretting themselves over all this stuff because they refuse to accept it. Father, give them the strength to accept it. Give them the reassurance that they can trust you wherever they are. Give them rest. Make way for your strength because you're always working. Even when we don't see it, you're working. Father, I thank you for what it is that you're doing in our lives. I thank you that you know the way even when we don't see it. I pray that you set a lot of people free today through this message from the torment that the devil has been just raining down on them, the havoc that he has been wreaking in their lives for years. Set them free from the torment and help them to experience your strength the way that you're helping me. So again, Father, we thank you. We love you. We worship you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.